Lord, we have come to seek you, to know you, to be known by you. And Lord, I just pray that in these moments as we study your word, that you would draw us closer to you, that you'd help us to, to look more and more like you in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we talk to others, in the, in the way that we go about our relationships. God, we want to be, we want to be yours. We love you, God, and pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, church, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. Just so excited to share God's word with you. And you know, the fact is, regardless of your feelings about the weather, it reminds us that Christmas is coming, right? Like it or not, it's happening. And so we've got our Bible reading plan for the Advent series, which is going to be starting really soon. I invite you to take that and to uh, read that, uh, to read that devotionally with us, uh, because we really believe that this will help us as we all draw closer and closer to Jesus Christ as we study God's word together. Today we are continuing our all-in series. We've been talking about unity, how God calls us to be a people who are united. Now that doesn't mean that we'll always agree on everything, of course, but, but we're called to be a people who are united. And today we're asking a very important question. How can we be united when we don't agree? Because if you think unity means agreement on everything, well, you're not going to be united with many people because you're not going to find very many people that you agree with on pretty much all the big things in life. There's going to be some disagreements. And so we're going to look at a story from Jesus' life for a while, and then we're going to kind of come back to that question at the end. For in this series, we are looking at three different events from the life of Jesus where he modeled for us behaviors that help us to be more and more united with one another. And before I jump into today's story, I want to say it's, it's a story. Uh, you, you may have heard it before. It's a story of when Jesus was teaching. He got interrupted by some Jewish religious leaders who brought in a woman that they had caught in the act of adultery. So today's sermon is kind of PG, especially parents watching at home. Just want you to be aware of that. Uh, but, but you know, it's also a story that, if we can just take a Bible nerd moment for a moment, it's a story that if you look up John 8 in your Bible, you'll see before this story, it will tell you that the earliest and most reliable versions of the Scripture actually don't include this story. Bible scholars are pretty united in the idea that this was added in later uh, because it's not found in the earliest manuscripts of the book of John. And so we believe it's a story that Christians had preserved for quite a while, and eventually somebody put it in there. So I asked the question, well, should, is it true, right? Well, we don't know, honestly. We don't know. Uh, it's certainly not. We wouldn't put it on the same level as the rest of the Bible. However, we would say that it is consistent with the life and the teachings of Christ and what we find throughout the rest of the Bible. So I personally think there's a lot of benefit in, in studying this story, okay? So let's dive in here. John 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, I don't care who you are, that's a bad day right there. <laughs> You're caught in the act of adultery. Essentially by your pastor, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't want that for you. 
I, I especially don't want that for me, okay? Like, that's, this is awkward for everybody involved, right? This is, this is like a, a nightmare scenario for this woman, right? She's caught in the act of adultery by the religious leaders, and, and they grab her, they bring her in, and, and of all places, I mean, this story, it raises so many more questions than answers, right? The Bible tends to do that. It just kind of says it and then moves on. I'm like, wait, time out. I have questions. And they're like, yeah, more of the story. Here we go. I'm like, what? How do they even catch her, right? Like, how do they even know that? Like, how? Why, why, where's the guy, right? It takes two to tango. This doesn't seem right. And of all places to bring her, why did we bring her to church? I mean, Jesus is teaching at the temple, right? I mean, you imagine it, it's like those doors like flinging open, and in walks Pastor Mark and Pastor Jonathan, and they've got some poor lady, right? And they're like, "You won't believe what we found. What are we going to do about it, John?" I'm like, "Well, uh, first, let her go, and second, clean out your desk for crying out loud! Like, we don't do that. Like, that's that's absurd. Who who would do that? Who would?" interrupt a worship service to embarrass somebody to, to do, it's, it's not kind, it's not loving, it's not, there's nothing appropriate about what they're doing. Verse four, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And now we get some commentary. They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down (laughs) and wrote in the dust with his finger. Jesus, now, Jesus shouldn't have to have had had to deal with this, okay? We may look at this and we kind of read backwards, like, oh, well, we know he was the son of God. He's all-knowing, right? So they, they were confused about what to do. They're like, oh, we should check with Jesus. He knows a lot of stuff, right? We should ask him. Nope. That's not the case. These are the Jewish religious leaders. These are the experts in the law. They they knew exactly. They knew exactly what to do. And for crying out loud, she's she's caught in the act. Jewish law said you had to have two witnesses, right? So they got two witnesses. She's caught in the act. They know what the law says. They know all the stuff. They didn't need to bring her to the temple. They didn't need to bring her before Jesus. The text is clear that they're trying to set a trap for Jesus. That is their purpose. That is their goal this day, right? And, and, you know, because you think, what are the odds? What are the odds of this girl, you know, being caught by, by the religious leader? She's not only an adulterer, she's like the most unlucky person in all of Israel, right? It's, it's like you go to rob a bank, and unfortunately for you, behind you in line is like the, the police officer and the judge, right? I don't care who your lawyer is, you're probably not getting away with this, This seems to be how she is. She's unlucky as they come. Or is she? Or is there something more, is there something more going on in this story? Leviticus 20.10, if if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Smells like a setup here. I mean, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that she wasn't committing adultery. I'm not saying that she wasn't in the wrong here. There's, there's nothing in this story that makes it sound at all unconsensual or anything like that. It's, the text makes it clear. They're saying this is adultery. This is a consensual act. But it smells like a setup. 
Maybe this was like an ongoing affair that the Jewish religious leaders were aware of, and, and they, they reached out to the guy and said, hey, we, we know what's going on, and if you will, you know, at this time, well, we'll, we'll let you go. I don't know. How else do you show up with her and not with him? The Pharisees, we do know, are using this as a test so that they can have something to, to charge Jesus with, okay? They're not just trying to embarrass him. They're trying to get him legally, okay? They're trying to put him in a legal bind here because Jesus, it, it, this creates a problem for him because Jesus has taught that the kingdom of God is it's open to everybody, right? And that, that it's open to the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people that the religious leaders that they shun, they don't like. Jesus, he goes and he hangs out with them. He eats with them. He goes to their homes. And they don't like this at all. The, the religious leaders don't like this at all that he reaches out to sinners in this way. Well, <laughs> okay, Jesus, you want to teach that way? Well, here we have a real bona fide sinner, a real caught-in-the-act sinner, no questions asked. What are we going to do with her? What are we going to do, Mr. Grace and Forgiveness? <laughs> How do you answer this one? And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact. The fact that she was trapped, it doesn't change the fact that she was sinning. The Bible is really clear about adultery. It's actually one of the big ten. Remember the Ten Commandments? It's in there. And in our world, past 70 years or so, it's become pretty popular to kind of downplay sexual sin. But that's not really what the Bible does. The, the Bible takes it very seriously. In fact, if you read uh, the Old Testament and the prophets, when they're talking about Israel's unfaithfulness to God, the number one illustration that God uses to de describe this is adultery. That in sometimes very graphic terms, God talks about how you, my people, are cheating on me. When you're worshiping these false idols, when you're going this other direction, when you're trying to worship me and them and all this stuff, no, that's adultery. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It, because God has also used the example of a marriage as like an example of our relationship with him because it's like the closest, the best human relationship there is. And adultery is the, it's like the ultimate betrayal of that relationship. So it's a, it's a big deal. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, to minimize that. For adultery, the, the punishment was, well, stoning. Stoning. And that's, that's rough. It's brutal. In these situations, what happens is that a person, the accused, would be brought out. You had to have at least, by Jewish law, two male witnesses. Not that that was right. That was their law. You had to have two male witnesses, and you would go before the religious leaders. The witnesses would bring their accusation. If there were other witnesses or other conflicting testimony, that would be heard. Ultimately, the, the leaders would would make their ruling, and if they determined that the person, in the case of adultery, if they determined the person was guilty, they would then take the person, usually outside the city gates, a bunch of guys would gather around, they'd pick up rocks, and they'd throw them at you until you die. It's a bad way to die, no questions about it. 
And this is what they're ready to do. This is exactly what they're ready to do in in this moment. And so they come before Jesus, and the next step is to grab the rocks and to kill her. Jesus has been interrupted mid-sermon. Interestingly, in those days, teachers often sat down while they taught. So Jesus may have been sitting already when they asked him this question. But regardless, what we do know is that he responds by just doodling in the dust. Isn't that interesting? I mean, this is a high-stakes moment. A woman's life is on the line. The, the justice of the law is on the line. Jesus' integrity as a teacher, perhaps, on the line, and he's, he's just doodling here. What do you think he was doodling? Some people say that he was just trying to collect his thoughts and he, he needed a moment, right? And he's just doing something to do that. Others say that he was writing, that he was actually writing the sins of the religious leaders on the ground in that moment. That's an interesting theory. My theory is he was just kind of doodling, and as he was, he, he chuckled a bit because he thought to himself, hmm, in about 2,000 years, John's going to try to explain this. <laughs> Good luck with this. <laughs> I don't know. Regardless, he sits and, and he doodles. And you know, there are at least two mistakes here that Jesus could make. He's kind of walking a, a tightrope. The first one is that he could just simply agree with the religious leaders, right? Say, yep, clearly an adulterer. You've got the witnesses. You know the law. Go ahead and just, yep, go ahead and stone her. That's how it goes. Why would that be a mistake? Well, it, again, would that, is that fully, it's sort of justice, but not really justice, because again, it's supposed to be both of them. So something's certainly fishy about this story, at the very least. But we do know that she committed the sin, so there's that. So that's one mistake, is just to, yep, throw the book at her. But on the other hand, he could be just gracious, just let her go, right? And if we just let her go, that sounds good. It sounds nice on the one hand, but on the other hand, this is God's law we're talking about. Like, Jesus is the Son of God. He's teaching God's law, and if he can be shown to be an unfaithful teacher of God's law, that's, that's chargeable by the Pharisees, okay? That's a big deal. This is not like, oh, just kind of your truth, my truth, whatever. No, no, no. This is God's law. This is what it says. Jesus had to uphold this. Talk about being caught between a rock and a hard place. Here's Jesus. And what does he do? <laughs> He's doodling. And you know, it's, when we think about the, the stones, on the one hand, it's brutal. It's rough. We don't like to think about this kind of stuff. But on the other hand, the fact is that sin has consequences. It does. 
And you, me, everybody else in here, we have been hurt. We have been hurt by the sins of others. And maybe we don't think of it in quite as violent terms as this implies, but I can bet for every single one of us, maybe today, or at least at some point in our lives, we've got a person or some people for whom this seems like justice. Sin has consequences, and quite frankly, they'd ought to pay. They'd ought to pay for what they did to us. After all these years, how could he just walk away from our family like that? Leave me with all this mess. How could she say those things? She knows the truth. How could that person cheat on me? I gave the best years of my life to them. How could they just go and fire me? Let me go after all I did for them. If you knew, if you knew what they did to me, you'd understand this too. So Jesus, what are you going to say? What are you going to say to the people who have caused us so much hurt and so much pain? You know what the law says, Jesus. What say you? And in verse 7, he answers. All right. Stoner. Stoner. But. But without sin, I'm just supposed to walk away. Walk away from all that. Is it really just? And Jesus... He keeps on doodling. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one from the oldest to the youngest. The oldest apparently had some more sin. 
And here we are. Nobody's holding rocks anymore. Jesus has looked at her and has loved her. And you know, friends, love disarms condemnation. When we look at the people who have hurt us so badly, it's so easy to just want condemnation. Because condemnation feels like vindication for all that I've suffered as a result of you. But there's those pesky verses like, the Son of Man came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved. (laughs) I'm part of the world. I want that for me. So is it really justice if I want it for me, but not for every other sinner in the world? Jesus... His love is incredible. And for some of us, we, we may even struggle to accept this love in our own life. Maybe we've been accused and we've been condemned and we've been told how bad we are and we've told ourselves how bad we are. And if we're honest, we're not sure that we're ready to receive that kind of forgiveness ourselves, much less extend it to anybody else. But here's the deal, friend. Jesus did it. <laughs> he, he took her sin, your sin, my sin on his body when he went to the cross. He, he took it all. He who knew no sin, he became sin. My sins. So that I may know the righteousness of God in him. <laughs> That's a gift. That's a gift you can't deserve that you can't earn. It's overwhelming. It really is. We can always forgive. See, Jesus recognized that she was kind of a pawn in these guys' game, that she was a sinner. But there wasn't really justice happening here, and Jesus, regardless, he just chose to forgive He taught us to pray that pesky prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, as we forgive those who trespass against us. When our accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. No, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I. The the one guy who had the right to throw a stone that day, (laughs) the one who hasn't actually sinned, neither do I. I don't condemn you either. And friend, maybe God brought you here today to hear those words. Neither do I. 
Jesus doesn't condemn you. He's offering you forgiveness, grace, freedom. If he doesn't condemn you and he's God, who are you to hold it against yourself? Or for that matter, any other of God's children? Neither do I. Neither do I. You can't earn this forgiveness. You can't deserve it. She hadn't even said she was sorry for crying out loud. (laughs) It's just given. It's freely given. What a gift of grace. What a gift that is. And you know, thus far in the story, the story really aligns in a lot of ways with how our culture has progressed since the stoning kind of days, right? Where we... We understand the need for grace, and we understand the need for forgiveness, and, and, and how important this is. And, and, and I think that for many of us, we're pretty good at this. Thanks be to God. That's a godly, good value. We should, we should imitate. However, we would be making a, story, a mistake if we ended the story here, though, because the story's not done here. And sometimes people kind of cut the story off here, because it's just, you know, great, she gets to go free, it's all good, right, we're happy, let's do whatever. Jesus said, neither do I, go and sin no more. He loved her, and he forgave her, and because he loved her, he called her to holiness, Leaving somebody in the midst of their sin isn't really loving. Sin is not God's best for you, for me, for anybody else. So to to ignore it is not loving, is not caring, is not Christ-like. God loves you so much, but God's love is a holy love which cannot ignore sin. A holy, perfect love can't just pretend that sin doesn't matter, that sin doesn't exist. The Bible's very clear. Sin separates us from God. It's not a little thing. It's not, oh, whatever, who cares? You're going to sin. Everybody's, oh, whatever. No, it separates us from God. In a sense, it's cheating on God. We must not take that lightly in our own lives and others. So we've talked a little bit about our own sin, how God sees it, how God deals with it. What about, back to the whole unity piece, what about when we disagree? I mean, here's clearly a woman who Jesus would disagree with, the law would disagree with. What what can we learn from Jesus about the teachings here? Well, first, don't condemn sin hypocritically, okay? Don't be a hypocrite, for crying out loud. Like, don't... So many times we're so good at ignoring our own sins and pointing out sins of others. That's, that's not great. It's not what we're called to do. So we don't condemn sin hypocritically. By the same token, we don't condone sin, okay? And, and our, our world wants to kind of make it so there's like these two extremes, right? Either you condemn, you're like the person on the street corner with the bullhorn telling everybody they're going to hell, right, you know, or you just condone sin, like, oh, it doesn't matter, it's no big deal, don't worry about it, we don't want to talk about that anyway, right? But that's, those aren't really the, that's not really the only options, it's not really what we're called to do. We're called to Ephesians 4.15, if we jump back to that, speak the truth in love. 
growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. We're called to speak the truth in love. We're, we're not afraid to call sin, sin, but we do it lovingly. We do it with care. We do it with grace. We do it with forgiveness. Who condemns you? <laughs> Neither do I. So go and stop sinning. Go and stop sinning. Go and be different. Jesus had, I would say, the relational equity to do this, if you will. And I think this is the third way we can kind of mess up. Don't confront sin without the relational equity to do so, okay? Like, you are not personally called to, to holler at every sinner that you see all the time, okay? That's nonsensical, right? You, God did not set you up, set you up to be like the, the umpire of all sin, right? Like, that's, that's not it, but we're called to be in loving, caring, accountable kind of relationships, like our band, our life group, um, our family, our, our children, or others around us, uh, where we've got the relational equity and, in fact, relational responsibility to speak the truth in love. Truth, love. You can't separate them. You, you, you get rid of one or the other, you've got a problem. Jesus speaks the truth in love. And when we're willing to do this, this brings true unity. Because it's a unity, we, we get rid of the condemnation and judgmentalism that pushes us apart from each other, but we also get rid of condoning things that are harmful, destructive, and also push us apart from each other. You gotta hit that sweet spot. You gotta speak the truth in love. It's what Jesus did. It's what he calls us to do. I wanna pray right now that we can do just that. Jesus, this is hard. It's really tough. There's times we want to just condone sin and pretend like it doesn't really matter. And there's times where we can be just overly condemnational and just mean and crabby. We know that that's, neither of these are your will for us, God. I pray that you'd help us to be a people who truly speak the truth in love. For those who have hurt us, God, would you give us the courage to forgive? Where restoration is possible, Lord, would you begin it, begin it in us? And Lord, in those relationships where restoration may not be possible, help us to see them as you see them. Lord, for those relationships where we have the equity to, to speak truth in love, help us to be faithful. Forgive us for the times where we don't. Help us to love each other so much that we would speak truth in love. God, I pray that you would unify us, your body, that we would be one as you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one that you would unite us, that, that when people see us, that they would see your love, your grace, and your forgiveness in this world. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for being a God of ridiculous grace and generosity. May we do the same. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.